Sometimes in matters of faith, we come to a crossroads where we have to determine whose authority we are going to trust and rely on. An example might be if we wanted to go to a lake to go swimming. And when we got there, we saw there was a sign posted that said no swimming allowed. But at the same time, there was a man walking by and he said, oh, you can swim. Don't worry about that sign. I've seen many people swim. Don't you have to determine whose authority you will trust and rely on? What was written on the sign or what the man said? If one authority is pointing left and the other authority is pointing right, don't you have to choose which authority to trust and follow? So the Bible prompts such dilemmas for us. We have an authority in it that says we have a creator God. So God is either creator of all things or he isn't. If evolution is the means by which all things exist, it begs a question about God's other miracles. If God could not speak the world into existence, would he also be able to immediately heal a man's crippled arm? Or in Luke 5.25, where the four men lowered a mat with a paraplegic on it, and Jesus immediately healed the man. Or in Luke 5, 5.13, where a man was instantaneously healed of leprosy. Or in Luke 13.13, 13, where there was a woman that had some sort of a back issue where she was bent over for 18 years. And Jesus healed her immediately, and she straightened up and walked away. Or there's a story in, in John 5, 9, where there was a man at a healing pool for 38 years. And then Jesus immediately healed the man, and he picked up his mat and walked out. Or you may remember the woman that touched the, the outer hem of Jesus' garment and was instantaneously healed of a bleeding condition that she suffered under for 12 years. Or you may remember Jesus turning water into wine or creating the loaves and the fish. Did those things happen over some sort of a process of evolution, or did God create it instantaneously? So if everything that we see around us came about by some sort of an evolutionary process, then could God walk on the water that he did not create? Or would he be able to calm the seas in the skies um, if it all came about from some evolutionary process versus creation? And the throne that God sits up in heaven, well, where did heaven come from? Was that part of an evolutionary process as well? And the hell that many will be cast to it during the end times, is that an evolutionary process? Or did God create heaven, hell, and the earth? Or if you look at Revelation 21, the Bible says that God will speak a new heaven and a new earth into existence in front of our very eyes. Will that happen over billions of years, or will God speak it into existence over a matter of days? The point is that Satan is always questioning the authority of God. You may remember in the Garden of Eden, when God laid down his law, he said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Satan say to Adam and Eve? He came and he said, did God really say he was questioning God's authority. And biblically speaking, the problem with evolution's authority is that it requires death. If you think about evolution, isn't that the survival of the fittest where species after species are building up and dying out and building up and dying out over billions of years? And then voila, magically mankind exists. Isn't species emerging from species? And if that happens, that requires death. But the problem is that Genesis and God say in Genesis 3.14 that sin and death came into the world through Adam. So both cannot be true and accurate. One points one direction, the other says something different into another direction. And we have to determine whose authority we trust and rely on. So for a perfected evolutionary, evolutionized uh, human being like Adam and Eve, there had to be much evolutionary death. So we have to choose to trust the evolutionary process as presented to us by unbelievers, 
Or do we believe the authority of God that he is creator and able to create new arms and new eyes and new, and new legs for those that Jesus performed instantaneous miracles by? If we choose not to believe God's account of creation in favor of evolution, then what other events from the Bible might we also want to omit? Do we omit the worldwide flood in favor of some evolutionary process? Do we omit uh, the pages about Adam and Eve, or about Noah, or about Abraham? Or where did our languages come from? The Bible says it came from the Tower of Babel during the events of the, uh, the Tower of Babel. Because it is Satan and non-believers that would have us trust in the evolutionary process. And the reason they do that is if you can hide God, then you can also hide or eliminate God's judgment. So if we are focused on an evolutionary process instead of what God told us and revealed to us through his Bible, then we are judging God. In essence, we're telling God, you are not capable you do not have enough power. You have no ability to do what I see in front of my own eyes, that this came by some other means, not from you. So we are taking God's glory, and that is a damning position to be in. We, we have to be very careful about commingling these two things because that is a judgment on God, and we would never want to do that. In essence, aren't we saying, I don't believe you can do this. In, in essence, we're saying, I'm going to rip those pages out of the Bible. I don't believe you can walk on the water. I'm going to rip those pages out. I don't believe that there was a flood. I'm going to rip those pages out. We would never want to do that sort of a judgment because that is a damning that none of us would want to put ourselves into. We want to give God the glory. So let's take a look a little closer at the two roads so we can make a discerning decision on which one we want to trust and follow. The root of faith is believing what God said simply because it was he who was the one that said it. So at creation, God gave us a first-hand eyewitness account and he had authored a book that made known to us the things that he wanted to make known about creation. So we would have to ask ourselves, if the Bible's account of creation is true, if that really did happen, then all true science should point and affirm this truth. For example, would it make sense that nothing times nobody equals everything? Well, that's what evolution would have you think, that nobody made it and then suddenly everything existed. There wasn't even a speck of dust that existed because nothing existed. And then suddenly nobody made it and everything existed. Or, if the science of creation is true, then you should have nothing existing, not even that speck of dust, but you have a God who existed, and he spoke, and then everything existed. So you have zero times God equals everything, or you have zero times zero equals everything. Which one makes the most sense? Or if you look at it from an everyday practicality, uh, certain things have a rate of measure. For example, we can determine how much rain fell based on the rate of the raindrops. Well, the same is true of dust. Dust falls at a certain rate. So over time, we can establish how much dust would fall. Since dust is everywhere, including the moon, so scientifically, if creation is true, you would expect about 6,000 years worth of dust to be on the surface of the moon. Enough that if you got out of an Apollo spacecraft and took a first step on the moon, you would have enough dust to leave a footprint on it. But if the moon is 60 billion years old, you would expect much more dust. You would expect multiple feet of dust, if not even more. So the lunar landing supports the Bible's authority of creation. Considering under evolution, everything would have evolved. Nothing would have existed. There would have been no water. There would have been no rocks. There would have been no animals. Then over the course of time, with evolving and changing and dying and mutating, things would have become stronger and more suitable um, ways of life forms would have, have begun. So you would have to question that there should be bones everywhere. 
from every species, from squirrels and giraffes and bears and everything. Since everything came from something else, so where did they come from and, and where are those bones? Why is it that just humans seem to have evolved and we're just looking for human bones, but yet there should be bones of all other animals and species. Every animal would have bones of missing links. So every time you pick up a bone in your backyard, that should be a missing link. But scientifically, we know that that's not true. And the reason that it's not true is that evolution is void of science. So consider this, if you looked at you and I, or you looked at the, the sun up in the sky, or you looked at the plants in your backyard, eventually all will die and, and come out of existence. The sun will eventually burn up. You and I will get older and get frail. Over time, uh, we're not getting stronger. Uh, we're not getting younger. So how is it that everything in the universe, the sun, you, me, the plants, everything decreases and disintegrates over time, but yet evolution gets things stronger over time. Species become um, stronger and more uh, uh, intellectual, um, uh, more evolved. So scientifically, how, does, how is that possible? How does it work when everything runs down except for evolution? But if you're Satan, you do not want God to be seen or praised for being powerful and being the creator. Because if you can make God disappear through the deception of evolution, so people do not consider or they do not see God, then they will not turn to God to be saved. But if God is seen in creation, he is also seen in judgment. But people love their sin and therefore fall for the delusion that Satan puts out with non-believers. So how does Satan do this? So if you look at the face of the earth, you can see that creation has happened, things exist. But what, what Satan does through evolution and how he gets a foothold is he looks at things this way. Things have become dramatically altered because of the worldwide flood. So if you can say the flood never happened, that history begins after the flood, and if you're a scientist and you're just looking at things the way they look today, for example, the, the Grand Canyon, if you're a scientist and you're not considering the flood and you're thinking, well, based on erosion, how long would it take to form the Grand Canyon? Well, you would come up with a, uh, an idea that it would take 60 billion years for that to happen, for that much erosion to happen. So if you're looking at the Earth in a static term, and not factoring in um, cataclysmic events such as a flood, and you're looking at it from a static point of view of erosion, it gives you a deceptive, delusional time frame. Or as Peter said in Second Peter chapter 3, when speaking about the flood, he said people do not consider that. They, they just assume life is always the same, it's always um, going to be the same. And Peter says that's wrong. Um, you know, the flood happened. Um, you know, there was judgment. God did come in and judge, and he will come back and judge again. So you can't just look at life like, hey, it's always been going along the same path um, because people omit the flood. Peter understood that, and he wrote that in Second Peter chapter 3. One other example um, how, how this may work is you look at uh, St. Saint, um, Saint Helens. So back in the 70s when the volcano uh, erupted, there was an explosion. So if you looked at the landscape today, well, that landscape changed during that explosion in probably about eight minutes. Um, but if you did not factor that in, if you're just looking at the landscape the way that it looks today, um, you're looking at uh, the rate of erosion. You're looking at the gorges and valleys, and, and you're saying, well, for it to look this way, it must have taken millions or billions of years. So if you're not looking at the cataclysmic event of a volcano or a flood, well, that will be a delusion. Um, once again, if you're not looking at God's hand on something, then you will be deceived. And many people want to be deceived, and Satan wants to deceive because he doesn't want you to see God, and people are willing to take God out of their life because they do not want to face a God that brings judgment. So is there a scenario where it could be both, where God created, but yet evolution 
um, happens. Uh, for example, could God have spoken things into existence to a certain extent, kind of wound the clock and then left and let ev evolution happen? Well, that is not possible because God cannot lie. And we know that from evolution, it's a, a generation to generation dying, becoming stronger, splitting, morphing into something else. And it all occurs from death. And the wages of sin is death. And the wages of sin came from Adam and Eve. That's what God says in his word in the Bible. So evolution could not happen because for you to get to the point where mankind exists, there would have to be a tremendous amount of death. And death did not happen until Genesis chapter 3. And God records the first death in chapter 3 when God killed an animal to provide a skin so that Adam and Eve could use the skin for clothing. So, what we really believe is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. It says, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So there you have it in God's own word that speaks against evolution. Instead of what we see was made out of what was invisible because God created it from nothing. Or another example is from John chapter 17, verse 24, when Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So we were, with, we were given to Jesus by God, not by evolution, but because God created us and gave us to his son as a love gift to show his love for his son. Jesus also said of Satan in the Garden of Eden uh, that it was Satan who was the origin of death and dying when Cain killed Abel in the Garden of Eden. That was the first human death. The first animal death was the skin. The first human death was when Cain killed Abel. It was not through a long series of billions of years of evolution. So God was a firsthand eyewitness because he is the creator. So not only is he the witness, but he's also the intelligence that put everything together. The Bible has a couple things to say about the intelligence of God. When you go to Proverbs 8.27, there's a couple verses that speak about the intelligence, that it was his idea that was in place um, before the world came into existence. And then uh, it talks about how the deeds of old, uh, before the water was formed, uh, the watery depths, that, that the, the idea, the intelligence of God was already there before creation. And then you think about the, the Lamb's book of life. Well, who's the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. So what it says about the book of life, that before the world was even created, everybody's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone that will go to heaven, their name is already in the book of life. Everyone who's going to be condemned, their name is in the books. Uh, you can read about that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, for example. It's in about a half dozen other places in Revelation. You can read about it in um, in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 20. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 7, verse 10 as a few examples. So the point is that God already had the plan, even to the point that our names were put in the Lamb's Book of Life before we were even created. So as a love gift from God the Father to his Son, made in his image, the image of God, the love gift is spoken into existence. And that all begins in Genesis 1.1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there's a couple things that would we would want to glean from that passage. When you think about the study of sciences, for example, science is a study in the effects of time and of force and of action and of matter. So here in the first verse of the Bible, you have in the beginning, which is time, God, which is force, created, which is action, heavens, 
which is space, and earth, which is matter. So here you have the five elements of science in the very first verse of the Bible. So we have God's intellect already on display. Then it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So here we have the Holy Spirit already being introduced. So we have God the Father speaking the, the world into existence. We have the Holy Spirit doing the work of creation. And then we have the Bible continues and says that uh, the light entered the world. Now, what's interesting about that is the light that entered the world is not the sun, the moon, or the stars, for those were created on day four. So the light that entered the world was God himself. God himself is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So now you have the, uh, the triune God. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all there at creation. When God created matter, space, and time, quite frankly, he could have spoken the world into existence in a matter of seconds. But he chose seven days because he was setting up a pattern for his creation, for you and I. He was setting up the seven-day week. He was setting up the, the, the day of rest. The day of rest will have its fulfillment when we're in heaven, um, as the Bible speaks about in, in numerous places. However, he was God was setting up the six-day work week in the, in the day of rest. Um, you see this pattern um, where it says it was evening, it was day, day one. It was evening, it was day, day two. So God is setting that pattern. And then he also says after every day of creation, it was good. Well, why was it good? It was good because God made it, and it was good because there was no sin or death in it at that time. And then when God looked at the entirety of his creation after the seventh day, then he said it was very good because mankind was his crowning achievement because we are made in his image. The other thing you would want to take a look at is God fixes into place certain things. For example, when God says he created the the heavens and the earth. Um, he, he says, um, and it was so. And then when he creates the animals and the plants, he, he says, and it was so. So God says this statement, and it was so, in numerous places. And what that is indicating is that there's a permanence to it, that there's a stability to it, that uh, um, there were animals back then, there's animals today. There was sky back then, there's sky today. There was water back then, there's water today. During every step of creation, God said, and it was so, with the one exception of when he created day and night, because it's not always day and it's not always night, so God would not say it's so because it's not fixed. Then during creation, God creates the atmosphere. And, and what does it say? It says he separates uh, the water. So it's almost like taking a knife and cutting a layer of the water and what does he do? He raises that up into, into the air. So when he's doing that, he is creating space. So you have this expanse, which is called heavens. Well, the Bible speaks of three types of heavens. There's the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. The first heaven is um, the air we breathe. It's the clouds in the sky. The second heaven is really where the moon the sun, the planets, the galaxy is. And then the third heaven, the highest heaven, is where God sits on his throne. So all of the space was created um, by God at this time. He was, he was lifting it up, uh, this expanse up from the earth and creating that. And then um, God uh, emerged the, the, the land from outside of the water. He, he lifted the, the land from above the water and made it drear, uh, made it dry. Um, he separates the seas uh, from the land. Um, it's not through some evolutionary process. Everything is fixed. It all happens within these, within these six days. And God explains he, full, he created fully grown plants and fully grown animals that in turn produce seeds and produced offsprings. So once again, it's not an evolutionary process that evolves. These are full-grown, mature animals and plants that are created. 
And then on the fourth day, like we mentioned, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. Um, and, and there, that is establishing time. It's setting the, the um, he spoke the, the seven-day week because those are not followed in the stars. You don't look up into the moon to determine the seven-day week. You look to the moon to determine the months. You look at the rotation around the, the sun to determine the years and so forth. So time is now established with the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then the creative process, almost like a painter on a canvas. God separates. He separates the light from the darkness. He separates the water from the water. He separates the water from the sky. He separates the, the water from the dry ground. And then to underline that his creation is not part of an evolutionary process, in chapter 1, verse 21, God gives some details about his creation. When he talks about the, the fish in the sea, and, and he says every living creature that teems, it moves about. And, and then he talks about according to their kinds. So it's not jumping from one species to the next species. Everything is within its kind. And he talks about every named bird. Um, so it's not, you know, some and some will uh, appear later on in time. No, every named bird. And then he says, uh, be fruitful in increase in number. So he doesn't say um, increase in variety. So God is very specific about every and according to their kinds, in increasing in number. So all of the species that God created lived and existed at the exact same time. During those six days of creation, everything was created, all the animals and all the plants. Even the animals that today are now extinct, such as dinosaurs, they were there during the time of creation. It wasn't until the flood that ultimately the dinosaurs became extinct and ultimately were encased in mud, and today we find their fossils. So on an earlier podcast, we discussed in Job chapter 40 and 41, it gives much detail about these dinosaurs. The Bible spoke of the dinosaurs as behemoth. That was the term it used. And it gives a description about these behemoths. It says in Job, um, Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth with a ring of fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields, tightly sealed together. Each is too close to the next that no air can pass between them. They join uh, to one another. They cling to together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws off. And it goes on uh, with further descriptions. And so it talks about this, this thick hide and the shields along its back. And then it says in chapter 40, uh, verse 5, it says, Look at the behemoth. So how, how could you look at something that didn't exist? So as mankind is there, mankind and dinosaurs are there at the same time. It goes on and gives this description. It says, look at the behemoths. So, and then in, in verse 15, it says, which I made along with you. So the behemoth, which I made along with you. So they're there at the exact same time. In chapter 41, verse 7, it says, you can fill its hide with harpoons. So these behemoths or dinosaurs were there at the same time as mankind. Who would throw harpoons? Well, mankind would. So the point is that God knows this well before we knew it. We didn't know dinosaurs existed until relatively recently. But God wrote it in his scriptures at the point of creation. So God is a creator. He's a triune God. So we have uh, the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters at creation. We have God the Father speaking the world into existence. And then in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. God spoke the Word, and the world came into existence. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing had been made that has been made. These verses speak of Jesus because he is the Word that became flesh. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, God speaks of himself in the plural. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What do they say? They say, 
let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God speaks of himself in the plural. So you and I are made in the image of God. So what does that reflect? Well, you have God the Father that sits on a throne. You have God the Spirit that hovers over the, the waters at creation. And then you also have God, the incarnate God. As he interacts with mankind, he presents himself as uh, a God that has a face and legs, and we are made in that image. An example um, would be something used in an earlier podcast, um, Exodus 33.11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with his friend. So Jesus is this face. He is this image that we are made to resemble. Jesus is God, and we are the reflection of God made in his image, in the, the incarnate God. It wasn't until Jesus was born in the manger that he became the visible God. But he made appearances before with Moses, with Abraham, and others. That is the image that we resemble. So God is a creator that spoke the world into existence. He created everything. Uh, therefore, he is the owner of everything. However, God handed over dominion to the earth to Adam and Eve. And the reason he did that is we are made in his image and as a love offering to, to express his gratitude for what the Father did for him, he shares dominion of the earth with you and I. So how you see this is in verse 29. Um, it says that Adam uh, ruled over uh, the fish of the seas and the bird of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals um, and everything that uh, moves along the ground. Um, and then what does Adam do? He names the animals. Well, when you name something, you're showing ownership. When you name a child, when you name a, a, a pet, a dog or a cat, you are showing ownership of that. So when, when Adam is naming a cow a cow or a deer a deer, um, that is showing ownership. He, he's showing dominion of that. And then in verse 29, um, God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant. So once again, the plants are full grown, but they ultimately will, will bear um, seeds and continue to uh, uh, procreate, uh, continue to, to grow and, and to produce. So at this point, there is no sin. So all of the animals all eat plants. That's what the Bible says. So um, even the dinosaurs, even the dinosaurs that existed at that, that time, uh, Job in chapter 40, 41 it talks about how the vegetation that the the, uh, the behemoth that they eat. So all of the animals are eating plant-based. They're all eating similar type things. Maybe it's bananas. Maybe it's green leaves. Um, you know, maybe it's different fruits. Uh, but we're all animals, and all humans are all eating plants because there is no death, and and the plants do not have are not living beings. So to eat a plant is not creating death. So God in chapter two, verse one says, his creation, the heavens and the earth, they are completed. So once again, no evolutionary process, everything is complete in its entirety. And it is perfect and it is very good. So Adam and Eve during this time, they are fellowshipping with God. Uh, they have dominion of the earth, they're naming the animals, they're working in the, in the garden. And that's a reminder to us that work is not um, a judgment of sin. It's work becoming difficult and labor-intensive, the sweat of the bra and, and, and thorns and thistles. That is the judgment of sin. But work itself is not um, a judgment of sin. When you and I are in heaven, we will be working, but working will be pleasurable. It will not be, um, be um, labor-intensive. It will not be difficult. Um, that is the sin part of it. So you have Adam and Eve that are fellowshipping with God. And, and here you have the family that is created. So you have Adam and you have Eve, and then ultimately you have their children. So that is the mirror image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
the unity of the triune God is like a family. So God created uh, marriage and the family in the Garden of Eden. So the fellowship that Adam and Eve is just like the fellowship of, of the triune God. And what Satan tries to do is Satan tries to disrupt. He tries to destroy the family because if he cannot get to God, he'll go after the creation that is made in the image of God. So that is his strategy. So during these times of fellowship between Adam and Eve and God, ultimately God brings about his law. He tells Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden, except for you cannot eat from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil, and you cannot eat from the tree of life. So Satan being a deceiver, a liar from the beginning, he has us question God's authority. He, he says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? He's questioning. Why, why would God say that? Well, he plants the seed of thought. The reason God would say he doesn't want them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because if they do, they will have the exact same powers as God. In essence, they will be God. They will be able to sit on God's throne. They will be able to speak anything into existence. They'll have the mind and intellect of God. Well, that was all a deception, but Adam and Eve fell for that deception, and they ate from the fruit. And here's what it says about that moment uh, from various perspectives. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, it asks a question, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In essence, that passage is saying that is an unfair bet. If you gain the whole world, you would think, wow, that's amazing. But if you lose your set, if you lose your soul, soul is eternity. Gaining the whole world is just temporary. That's a bad bet. And that's what Adam and Eve did when they um, bit into the fruit. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, a roaring lion seeking to someone to devour. That's what sin is. Luke 23:21 they yelled out crucify him crucify him meaning to Jesus well why would they want to crucify Jesus it was because of sin in the world it was because they wanted to crucify him because they wanted his authority they wanted to possess his authority they didn't want him to have it Romans 5:12 just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin so sin entered the world through one man but the good news is it leaves the world through one man in the act of that one man, what he did on the cross, and that one man is Jesus. Romans 8.22, the whole creation has been groaning. So when Adam and Eve bit into that fruit, not only did it affect their lives, but it was passed down generation to generation through procreation to you and I. We see it in the world around us. We see it in, in hurricanes and earthquakes and mudslides and all of the things that are going on in, in, in nature. We see it when uh, animal is killing animal and so forth. Um, in Romans one twenty five it says, they exchanged the righteousness of God. So it was an unfair bet. They said, we're going to bite into the apple. And what they did is they, they, they thought that God was less righteous than he was. They thought they were more righteous than they really are. Luke 12.20 but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. Anytime we sin, in essence, we are forfeiting our existence and our life will be demanded of us unless we have the forgiveness of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die and in Christ all will be made alive. And then in Philippians 3, 8, I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, so Apostle Paul said that his most righteous moment is like filthy rags. It's like a menstrual cloth. It's, it's just rubbish uh, that, that uh, even his, his best day and best moment in his life is, is still full of sin. It's still contaminated, that it, it's really worth nothing. So that's what happened when it, Adam and Eve bit into the fruit in disobedience to God. So it is through this deception that the prince of the world 
as Jesus calls Satan in John chapter 12, verse 31, takes dominion. He takes control of the world from Adam and Eve. So now Satan today is the ruler of the earth. However, Satan is defeated when Jesus went to the cross and arose from the dead because the only weapon that Satan has is death. And Jesus overcame death, so he conquered Satan. That will be played out in its entirety during uh, the end time uh, judgments. In Revelation chapter 5, it speaks about the lamb, that no one could open the scroll. Well, the scroll is the deed to the earth. No one could open it up, but the lamb was the only one that, that, that could, worthy as he. So you can read about that in Revelation chapter 5. So the effects of sin are immediately seen in chapter 3, verse 12, when Adam blames God. He says, the woman you gave me, um, you know, she, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Uh, we'll see this also in final judgment when non-believers turn to God and in essence blame him. Um, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this? Don't we deserve to be here? And then God will say, get away from me. I, I don't even know who you are, you evildoers. Um, so, you know, we, we blame God. You know, God, you, you messed up. Uh, we, we're worthy to be here. It's you that's wrong. So a prophecy is spoken by God that gives the first details about God's plans of redemption. So in Genesis, before the world was created, God already knew that mankind would sin and that he would come in with a plan of redemption. So he gives us this first little brief glimpse of how this, how this redemption will work out. And God said, when he's speaking of the, the judgments that he put in place against uh, because of sin, God said he would put enmity or he would put a seed between Satan and the woman. Well, women don't carry seed. Men, men carry seed. So this was a little bit unique uh, because the woman would have a seed and that seed would be enmity between Satan and um, this, this man who ultimately is Jesus. And then uh, Satan being right there, he overhears this, this judgment. So he realizes that salvation is not going to be included for the fallen angels, that it's only for humanity that are made in the image of God. So at this point, um, Satan understands that, and he goes to work eventually to try to corrupt that plan. So when God speaks his various judgments, um, these really do not take full effect until after the flood. God is speaking them, but they're not in effect that, that exact moment. Uh, so for example, um, God still allows a grace of time where childbearing is not, uh, it's not painful. So the animals, um, you know, multiply, they're starting to expand. Um, you have Adam and Eve that are having children. Childbearing is not painful. And you're seeing that the world is really um, beginning, beginning to populate. Uh, you see this um, um, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 3, when it says, um, it says uh, um, that there's a 130-year time where um, it speaks about later and over the course of time. So this is that period of time where uh, the world is really starting to, to populate. And that explains that later on in chapter 4, when Cain kills Abel, and he is ultimately banished from, from Eden, that it says that Cain came across other people. Well, these other people are uh, children that Adam and Eve had uh, because childbearing was not painful. Uh, so they began to multiply um, at, a, at a rapid rate. So God banishes Adam and Eve because of the sinful act. And uh, just as Satan was uh, banished from heaven, uh, both were banished because of sinful acts, Adam and Eve, because they tried to overrule God, overthrow God. And Satan had done the same thing when he was up in heaven and was ultimately banished down to earth. Um, the Bible says that God drove them out to prevent, them from, uh, prevent Adam and Eve from eating from the, the tree of life. Because if they would have eaten from the tree of life after their sinful condition, they would have been locked in their sin forever. There would have been no redemption for them. It wouldn't have mattered if, if Jesus would have gone on the, on the cross and died. It would have no, no bearing for them. But because they were prevented from eating from the tree of life, then Jesus ultimately could go to the cross, could um, have the means to forgive their sin, to, to remove their sin, 
And then when we are in heaven and in a sinless condition, then we eat from the tree of life and live forever. In verse 24, it says um, that Eve gave birth to another son, um, Seth, and that was after Cain killed Abel. And then it says that Adam lived 930 years and then he died. So the effects of sin were permeating through the world, but they had not completely taken full effect until after the flood. In chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible speaks of um, one of the offsprings of Adam and Eve. His name is Enoch. And Enoch, um, in, the, in the lineage, says that he did not die, that he was taken up into heaven. And it's believed that Enoch is one of the two eyewitnesses that will come down during the event times of Revelation to proclaim um, God's word, uh, word to the non-believers. And that at that point later on, Enoch would be um, killed and then, um, and then raptured up to, up to heaven. You can read a little bit more about that in the Revelation podcast. As, uh, as sin crept into the, into the world, Satan understood that you know, he, he was on the outside of God's salvation. Uh, God made the proclamations, and he understood that, that he and the demonic world were not going to be saved. So Satan tried to commingle the angelic world, the demonic world, with the human world. And this came in the form of Nephilim, um, which uh, you can read about in chapter 6, verse 4. It was because of this that God had made a proclamation to Noah that 120 years later, he would flood the world. So he gave Noah a 120-year period of time to, to build this massive ark. God said that he gave Noah the instructions. He, he told him exactly how to build the ark, how it was supposed to be used, what materials, all the details. Uh, the Bible says that the ark is 300 cubits long by 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high, and that it was to have three levels, um, a, a lower, middle, and upper deck. And in verse 15, it, uh, the Bible says that God would lead pairs plus some extras so that on the other side of the flood, uh, they could be used for food and for sacrificing. And that uh, uh, that they that God would lead the animals to Noah and the ark. And at this time, all of the animals and all of the family of Noah were all plant eaters. So Adam could just go right around where the area where the ark was, and he could uh, grab local vegetation because that's what the animals um, ate at that time. So the way that this would look is the average size of all of these animals, all the variety, would be about the size of a sheep on average. So you have all these animals in pairs that God is leading into the ark. Uh, the larger animals are going on the bottom, medium-sized animals are going on the, on the middle, and then the smaller animals, the rabbits and so forth, are on the, uh, on the top tier and nestled in between the other animals. So... If you're thinking about the size of 300 cubits by 50 cubits, that would be a little larger than our largest cruise ship. So you have all of these animals that average about the size of a sheep coming into this you know, massive ship. And the Bible says that it was God himself that closed the door to the ark. So from the outside, God closed it. Because I'm sure there were people when it started to rain, it had never rained before. People had never seen rain on the face of the earth. So when the rain began, the people at that point, after 120 years of, of Noah preaching, um, well, they started to believe at that point. I'm sure they rushed to the ark trying to get on. So it was God that judged them and, and closed the door, and they were condemned. So at this point, you have the um, you have the rain, which for, for the very first time is falling down, and then you have these vents um, um, underneath the ocean, underneath the water that are opening up. It wasn't until relatively recently um, with submarines that that uh, uh, these vents, under, under ocean vents, are, have been discovered. Um, we had no idea that they existed until really just a couple decades ago. So these vents under the water or under the, under the land, they're releasing water. And that filament, that area of water at creation, when God had separated the water from water, almost like a knife, and he raised it when he created the space, well, there was a, a, a quantity of water that was there specifically for this purpose of the flooding. 
So God had released that water that he originally lifted up and this water came down. So you have water coming from this filament, you have rain, and you have this underwater vents that are opening up. So the water is, or the earth is, is starting to, um, to flood pretty, pretty quickly. And at this point, you know, the Bible says that the, the height of the water um, had raised 15 cubics above the, uh, the tallest mountain. So what's interesting about that, when you look at the fact that the ark is 30 cubits um, high, well, when a boat goes into the water, basically one-third of the boat is under is underwater. Um, if you're looking at a boat um, from the land, you, you cannot see one-third of it because it's under the water. So one-third of the ark being under the water um, would have passed by the tallest peak of any mountain without it scraping um, the peak of the mountain and, and, and causing damage to the, uh, the bottom of the ark. So with God's judgment on the earth and humanity now completed after the flood, God comes and speaks with Noah. And here's a couple things that he says. He says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So God is introducing now the four climates. The world had, had tilted on its axis. You now have um, the cold and heat introduced. The, the climate is no longer perfect. And then it continues in chapter 9. It says, um, The fear of and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, and on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has lifeblood in it. For your lifeblood, I surely will demand an accounting. So God is, is establishing that if man kills man or an animal kills man, because we are made in God's image, that capital punishment comes into play. So there will be an accounting of that. And then... Um, God says that uh, um, that every descendant after you and every living creature that was with you. So not all animals entered the ark. Uh, the dinosaurs did not enter the ark. They perished uh, with the flood. So the authority of God would have us understand that the world really is about 6,000 years old. How we figure this out is that God gives us the lineages. He tells us exactly how long Adam lived and then his children, how long they lived, and then their children, children, how long they lived. So when you string that together, you can discern that Adam to Moses was about 2,000 year period of time. And that from Moses to Jesus is about a 2,000 year period of time. And that from Jesus to today is about a 2,000 year period of time. So we have an authority that we can either choose to believe or we can follow the authority of non-believers. So we come to crossroads where we have to determine if one authority is pointing left and another is pointing right, which authority do we trust and rely on?